The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is a fascinating and fantastic story. Genesis begins, you probably recall, when the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the earth, of the deep, while a wind of God swept over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. That's how Genesis begins, presenting the truth that all creation comes from God. God was before God is creator, and God reigns over all things. But then the 49 chapters that follow that creation story are full of much more intrigue and insight. Having made human beings in his image, God sees the first man and the first woman disobey the first commandment. And then the first human child commits the first murder. And within a very short space of time, it says, sadly, that the world is filled with violence. The world was filled with violence, and God was sad. We continue to live with this harsh reality. Fresh reminders this week. Gun violence on a ball field in Alexandria. Gun violence in the streets of Richmond that take the life of very young people. As early as Genesis 6, it says, and I quote, God regretted that he made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Thankfully, the Genesis stories actually continue. They don't stop there. God does not just create and then depart God calls people to covenant life, to a certain way of living in the world, with God and for God in the world. In Genesis 12, you remember God called Abraham and Sarah. God would bless them and make them a blessing. Despite the fact that Abraham and Sarah are revered by 2.4 billion Christians around the world and 1.6 billion Muslims around the world, and 13 million Jews around the world, they ruled no empire. Abraham and Sarah, they commanded no army. They conquered no territory. They performed no miracles, and they delivered no prophecies. Abraham and Sarah had one mission, to live blessed by God, and to live as a blessing to the world. What if we could really do that too? Know our blessings and live as a blessing. What if that was the goal of everyone related to Abrahamic faith traditions? Be a blessing to the world. It's not our task to conquer. It's not our task to convert. It's not our task to enforce uniformity of belief. It's our task to be a blessing. One of the most fantastic and fascinating stories of Genesis is the story of Joseph that covers the last third of the book of Genesis. If you remember the family tree of Abraham and Sarah from Sunday school, it goes like this. Abraham and Sarah, called to be a blessing, had an interesting journey with God full of ups and downs. But also in their late age, they had a son named Isaac. 
also called to be a blessing. Isaac married Rebekah, and they carry on the covenant of God, and they had a son named Jacob. Jacob and Rachel had a son named Joseph. This is where we get to our scripture today, Genesis chapter 37, and I invite you to read along with me. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock of his, she- of his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he, Jacob, made him, Joseph, a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were. Binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly, my sheaf rose and stood upright, and then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Some time later, they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels carrying gum and balm and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. So what is it that God's people are called to be? A blessing. Clearly, as in other stories in Genesis, we keep struggling with this. We keep struggling with this. This story, this Joseph story found in chapter 37 is not a story of blessing. It's a story of tension. There are several reasons for this significant tension. First, it says Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his children. Joseph was Jacob's son by his beloved wife, 
Rachel. The sons of Jacob's other wives, Bilhah, Zilpah, and Leah, kept their distance from the sons of Rachel. Second, Joseph likes to stir things up, stir up the tension. He tells tales on his brothers as he gives a bad report to his father. And also he has this coat, this coat of many colors, which sets him apart and increases the jealousy among his brothers. And then third, Joseph dreams dreams. And he doesn't just dream dreams. His brothers sheaves in the dream bow down to him. This is a constant provocation, generating the tension with his brothers. The sun, the moon, the stars, they will bow down to Joseph. Worse, he tells his brothers about his dreams. So this is Joseph. His father loves him. His brothers hate him. We are told this repeatedly with cumulative force. They hated him and they couldn't speak to him. So in the Bible, when words fail, guess what follows? Violence. The brothers learn of the dreams. It says they hated him all the more. And the brothers were jealous of him. It says the hostility is palpable. It's about to explode. But this is not where the story ends. This is why Genesis is so fantastic as a book, as a story. It depicts the complexity of the human condition to create a universe, to create the world out of nothing. That seems easy. It takes one chapter to create human relationships, to create community, to create people that get along To create people to be a blessing in the world. Well, that takes 49 chapters and all the rest of the Bible and all the rest of human history. God is still working on that. It's difficult. We have a long way to go. Why is it that the call is so clear? Be a blessing. But the reality, the way we struggle with life and life together leaves us so often alienated and antagonistic toward one another. Antagonism, alienation. That's what happened to Joseph and his brothers. Things had gotten so stirred up among them that they saw Joseph from a distance coming toward them, and before he even reached them, they began plotting to kill him. One commentator says this, they were able to contemplate fratricide killing their brother because they saw him at a distance. They refused to allow him to come close. It was a threat that they saw, not their brother coming. He was their enemy, not their brother. They could see his cloak and many colors. They knew who it was, but they couldn't see his face. And this is how things happen. The guy with the gun at the ball field in Alexandria, asked who was playing baseball. He wasn't interested in them as people. He was interested in what ideology they represented. Then he was able to shoot them. We have this desire, this inclination, not to see each other as brothers and sisters, but as distant 
different people, people less than us, people uh, different from us. And it brings out the worst in us. This is what happens. We're so called to be a blessing. And we allow alienations to grow and animosity to prosper and divisions to emerge. And before long, death takes over. It takes over. But you know what? God is not finished. And God prevails. That's always the promise. The very evil act that Joseph's brothers were plotting against Joseph to kill him, then deciding to throw him into the pit, and then to sell him into slavery, well, this begins a thrilling sequence, a sequence that reverses everything and runs through to the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph is sold and taken to Egypt by the traveling Midianite traders. He has some interesting experiences in Egypt that find him, dreamer as he was, interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh in Egypt. This earns him a favorable position in Egypt, which leads to another encounter with his brothers. While Joseph has been finding new life in Egypt, His brothers were facing challenges, famine in the land of Canaan. They were so famished that they had to come to Egypt to find some food and some relief. And who do they encounter? Their brother, their brother Joseph. Listen to Genesis 50, a few verses. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did to you in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept and fell down before Joseph and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear, Joseph says. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. There's a powerful message here. We cannot ever see ourselves as victims. We have always been called to see ourselves as working for the redemptive purposes of God. This is what the story of Joseph teaches us. Keep working for the redemptive purposes of God. Adam and Eve sin in the early chapters of Genesis, and when God approaches them, both of them deny responsibility. Adam says, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, so I ate it. Eve, the woman, says, 
the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's so easy to play the victim. It's so easy to deny our responsibility and pass the blame. And guess what? This keeps happening through Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and the brothers of Joseph. Reminding us that it's very much our tendency. Pass the blame. Deny our responsibility. Somebody else did this to me. Something else caused this for me. But, but by the end of Genesis, Joseph, who was really the victim, thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, given up for dead, challenged in Egypt, he refuses to define himself as such. He says to his brothers, you may have intended to harm me. God intended it for good, saving many people's lives. So do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Instead of asking, who did this to me? Joseph asks from his life and from his suffering, what redemptive deed has this put me in a position to perform? He doesn't look back. He looks forward. Instead of blaming others, he seeks to exercise responsibility. He seeks to be a blessing in the world. Imagine. Imagine that. And this is what God calls all of us to be about. What redemptive deed can I now perform in order to be a blessing in the world? If you haven't seen the front page of the Richmond Times Dispatch, it's about this very same thing. What redemptive deed can I now perform to be a blessing in the world? Where does this question intersect with you today? Where in your life is God calling for some redemptive act for you to perform? Is it a family matter? Is it a work issue? Is it a personal challenge? Is it a recent loss? A perplexing world? What redemptive deed can I now perform to be a blessing in the world? That is always, always the question. Just recently, we had our 14th post-critical incident seminar for police officers in Virginia. This is an event, you may recall, set up to help those who've been in trauma in police work, to give help and healing to officers in our state who found themselves in some traumatic event in the line of duty. We had 45 officers come from across the state and even a few from other states to this event that was held at Massanetta Springs. One of the officers who attended was a young, attractive female officer who had stopped a car for a violation. She was standing beside the driver's side of the car, and then she was then hit by a passing vehicle going 40 miles an hour. Her whole right side was destroyed. 
She has had seven surgeries already, and she's awaiting several more. It turns out that the driver of the vehicle that hit her was high on heroin and texting. Because of her complex injuries and continuing surgeries, this officer, though she's in her late 20s, has had to take medical retirement. She continues to deal with the many issues, the complexities related to her medical treatment and her recovery. And yet in one of the small group conversations at the seminar, somebody asked this officer if she was mad. Mad at the man who hit you on the side of the road. Mad at the man for making your life so terrible because of this accident. Was she mad? She said no. I'm not mad, she said. Because of the accident, the man who hit her has had to face his addiction and has come clean and has found a new path for his life. That officer seems to have this question rooted in her heart, this question that comes from Joseph, rooted in her life. What redemptive deed Can she now perform from where she is in life? And this is our calling, all of our calling. The Apostle Paul puts it very succinctly. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers is often our inclination to be about alienation and antagonism. It's often tempting to sow seeds of division and and disunity and animosity. And I think we might even agree that our culture can even promote these things. It's so often easy to fall into thinking of ourselves as victims and forgetting our call to be a blessing. Our call is to always be a blessing. God calls all of us and keeps trying to nurture us in the power of the Spirit. Life is with God. Life is for God. Let love be genuine. Be a blessing. We see it. We hear it from the Joseph story. You may have intended it for harm. God intends it for good. What redemptive deed Can I now perform? Can you now perform? That's the way we live. That's always the question. Called to be a blessing. A blessing for God and the world. For peace and hope and light and love everywhere. May it be so. Today, tomorrow, the next day, and all our days. Called to be a blessing for the redemptive purposes of God. Amen. Let us pray. Pour out your love and grace upon us, O God, and upon the world, and keep shaping us for your redemptive work, following Christ our Lord. Amen.